So um, we're going to be in Matthew 4. I appreciate Ken coming and doing what we call, like I said, Saturday night special where you get like 10 minutes notice and it's time to preach. Thank you for doing that, Ken. He did a great job. I did get to watch and listen online, so it was good to see you all from a distance. Today's message is how to follow Jesus. We're going to answer the question, how do you follow Jesus? But I'm not going to give you my opinion on how to follow Jesus. We're going to let one of his followers tell you how to follow Jesus. One of his very first followers, one of the 12, Matthew, is going to tell us how to follow Jesus. Now, you may be sitting back going, well, why would I want to follow Jesus in the first place? Well, we'll give you that too. Just throw that extra little bonus piece in there. Why do we want to follow Jesus, or why should we want to follow Jesus, and how do we follow Jesus? So that's what we're going to do today. So a little of my story, a little more of my story. Um, I was a civil engineer for 10 years with a firm called Kimley Horn in Florida, and uh, consulting engineering, and I started in West Palm Beach, was there about five years, and then we moved to Tampa. It was in Tampa where I really started to get traction and actually started doing my job in a way that I was feeling pretty good about. Up to that point, it had been a struggle for me. Um, all those years I struggled, it was, I don't feel like this is what I need to do. I'm not good at this. But they didn't fire me. They kept paying me. So I thought, well, at least they're paying me. Okay. And I just like, I'll give it another 12 months. Let's try again. Let's try again. And, and eventually um, got my PE, uh, passed the PE exam, uh, which was a miracle in and of itself. And then a promotion. And that's where we were when, when God called me into full-time ministry. So um, it was, I was, uh, hadn't been in that office for very long. We had a new company president who sent out a memo to everybody in the company. There's about 400 people at the time. And it was a half-page memo, and it basically said this, what do you have a burning desire to do? What's your passion? And that memo triggered in me once again this dissatisfaction with what I was doing, but it felt different this time because this time things were actually going well. It wasn't like, how can I get out of here? It was like, wait a minute, things are going pretty good. Why would I consider a change? And yet it was very clear to me that God was saying, okay, now is the timing for what you've been feeling for years. So I went home, uh, told Anita, and she was immediately on board. And she didn't know any details. She just could tell I was resolved. She could tell I, it was different. And it was this sense of peace that came with that calling, that you're going to be called into a, new, into a new direction in life. There's a similar call here in this passage that's going to be, you're going to see it in, in, in the disciples, the early disciples, the first four in particular. This calling is not limited to someone being called into full-time ministry, even though, what I mean that is, it's not a calling into full-time vocational ministry where you're paid full-time to do that. Um, Jesus calls all people to full-time ministry, okay? Some of you do it from home, some of you do it from the office, some of you do it from the classroom, some of you do it from a platform, some of you do it in other ways, from a field, from a hospital, Wherever you live, work, learn, and play, that's where your calling is fleshed out. In my case, he wanted me to do it full-time, which meant I needed to go back to school and 
that was a miracle to get me back into school. And so there was that. And then to then go and do that as a full-time vocation until he calls me to something different. And so I've been doing that for about 25 years now. And um, his grace has been abundant. I share that with you to say that Jesus calls us to follow him. And the word call is, is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not an invitation even. And sometimes we preachers get a little, we miss the meaning of words and we say, yeah, Jesus is inviting you to come. No, he's not inviting you to come. He's commanding you to come. Okay. Uh, let's be clear who's sovereign and who's in charge and who's not. Okay. I might invite you. <laughs> But he's the one with the authority. And remember, in this series, as we go through the book of Matthew, it is he has all authority so that all nations might come and to give him all allegiance. That's the theme of the book of Matthew from beginning to end. He has all authority so that all nations might come and give him all allegiance. It starts in Matthew 1, it ends in Matthew 28, and all throughout, that's the theme that runs through that, through there. And the authority that he has, he gives so that we join him in that mission okay, that he, is, that he has started, that he launched, and will be go until he takes us all home and the mission's done because there's no one left to, to lead to follow Christ because we're either following him or we're in judgment. So that's where we are in this. Um, so our bottom line today is this. Our bottom line is that when we... When we, to follow Jesus, we will believe that Jesus says he is who he says he is so fully that we'll surrender to him daily. Following Jesus is believing that Jesus is who he says he is so fully that we will surrender to him daily. And we're going to see the disciples do that, and we're going to sense that that's for me too, or not. You may not think it's for you, and that's fine if that's not where you are right now, Okay. So let's, let's start reading and let's see what Matthew says. Starting in verse 18, Matthew writes, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. This is part of the reason why this net is here. Okay? My vocation was engineering. Their vocation was commercial fishermen. They fished in the Sea of Galilee, which was a giant lake, catch fish and whatever else they could catch that was edible or sellable. <laughs> That's what they did. And then Jesus takes that imagery in which they've immersed their lives, and he says, come follow me, okay? And I will send you out to fish for people, okay? At once... They left their nets and followed him okay? at once. There's, the, the writer is, there's no hesitation. Okay? Now, he continues. Going on from there, we, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him immediately. Okay, so now let me catch you up. Um, I can give credit to David Platt here for the little outline that I'm... Basically, he took the words, the phrase, follow me, and he made it a two-point outline, okay? So the first part being me and the second part being follow. So let's start with me, okay? Follow me. Obviously not me, but Jesus is speaking, and he's saying, follow me. 
So why would we follow Jesus? Okay, and it really comes down to this. The only reason you would follow Jesus is because you would believe he's worth following. Bottom line, right? So who is this Jesus? And I just want to remind you what we've already said. So let's go back, turn to pack a couple pages. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew begins the book of Matthew by saying Jesus is, when well, he says it right here, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. Messiah means the anointed one. They anointed prophets, priests, and kings in those days. So he is the anointed one, okay? But he goes further. He says, Jesus, son of David. Who is David? David was the beginning of the line of the Davidic kings, the Davidic dynasty. And that, and I can't remember where. I'm drawing a blank. But in Scripture, in more than one place, it says that David will have a son who will be a king, but this one particular son will be king of the kingdom forever, so that doesn't sound like just your ordinary son, grandson, great-grandson, because he's going to be king forever, not just however long he's going to live. So we have son of David, we have Messiah, and then we have son of Abraham. Who's Abraham? Well, Abraham's only the father of the three biggest religions in the world, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, okay? And he was chosen by God to be the father of the, of the Jewish nation. He's the first of the patriarchs. He is the one that God made a covenant with. And if you want to read that covenant, you just go to Genesis 12, 1 through 3. I want to bless you. I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who, bless you, who curse you. And I'm going to bless the nations through you. So there's the summary of the Old Testament. Blessed to be a blessing to the nations. Okay? And that goes right in there with Matthew's theme. All authority has been given to Jesus so that all nations might have all, give him all allegiance. So you can see how all this works together. It is one story just broken into 66 books, okay? So go down further into Matthew 1. We get into the Christmas story. You got Joseph and Mary and the whole, you know, oh, she was unfaithful to me, it appears, she's pregnant. And then at some point, um, the angel shows up. Joseph figures out he's got it wrong. He, he's, he's on board. And then he says this. The angel says, to Joseph, she will, this is she being Mary, will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name that is Jesus, because, and there's the definition of the, the, the name Jesus, he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means the Lord is my salvation, okay? Chapter 2, we see the, mag, the, the, the magi show up, the wise men, and we see the shepherd, uh, I'm sorry, we see the escape uh, away from King Herod, because he's going to kill all the two-year-old and under boys in, in Bethlehem. So we see that God, or Jesus in particular, is sovereign over the wise. He led the wise men to the, the king of the Jews. And he's also shepherd over the weak. And he shepherded Jesus and his family out to Egypt so that they could come back out of Egypt, fulfilling prophecy and protecting the family in the same, in the same way. Matthew chapter 3, we see that Jesus is the righteous judge. Look at verse 10. If you're in chapter 3, um, the axe is already at the root of the trees. This is imagery. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire, which is a picture of the final judgment. And that the evidence that you have a relationship with God will be in the fruit that your life bears. If your life bears good fruit, then you're evidencing that you've been saved by grace through faith. And if you bear wicked fruit, then you're evidencing who the father, your father is there. And it's not the Lord, the Lord God. He is a righteous judge. He's also filled with the Spirit. We see the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove after his baptism. And we see that he is loved by the Father who says, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased and whom I love. There, the last verse of chapter 3. 
Chapter 4 begins with the testing in the wilderness, and we see Jesus accomplishes what Adam was unable to accomplish, and that is to resist the temptation of Satan himself. And so he passes the test as the second Adam. So we see that as well. And then um, we saw last week he begins to preach, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, making him not only the king, but we see the prophetic word being pre presented, the herald of the good news. So who is me? Follow me. Who is me? I just described him. I didn't even mention the fact that he created you, oh, by the way. Didn't have to. Could have created someone else in your place. Created you on purpose for a purpose. That's a pretty good reason. And if you're in Christ, you've been redeemed. You've been, you've been saved by grace through faith. And that he had to initiate that for that to happen. It's not something you could make happen. He had to be, he had to decide and choose and, and then make happen your, the beginning of your salvation experience. Of course, you have to cooperate, human responsibility being what it is, but there it is. So why would you follow Jesus? If that list doesn't convince you, compel you to consider seriously who God is, then I don't know what else to do but to hand you the Bible and go read it again. Because I don't want to convince you. It's not my job to convince you. The Holy Spirit is the one who convinces you and me of what is true and what is right. You just have to decide whether you believe it or not. And the way we know what you believe is based on how you live. The fruit of your life shows what's in your heart. And I don't, I don't make this up. I'm just reading the mail. Okay. Now, Follow. Once you get to the idea and you realize God is who he says he is and he's going to do all he's promised to do, and he's like, okay, he is worthy, okay? He is worthy than more a casual religious experience on every, on every other Sunday, right? When you get there, then you're starting to ask the next question, okay, so what does it mean and what does it look like to follow Jesus? Because the why really is the answer to the question, who is me? Why would I follow Jesus? Because you believe that Jesus is who he said he was, so fully that you're willing to daily surrender to him. Okay? So what does it look like? Well, we've already seen that it looks like being willing to walk away and drop your nets. So it was, I've been um, a registered engineer since 1992. I got my license. I was practicing um, engineering, and I do mean practice. Uh, did that, and then when I went into the seminary, I went to seminary, I overlapped, I kept working, and then I went into youth ministry full-time at 98-ish, somewhere around there, 98. Um, so at some point, you know, every year when you have a, a license, a professional license, you always have your annual fees, right? And you, you pay those so that you continue to use that license or you lose the license. And of course, there's usually continuing education that's tied to that. So I'm I know I'm not, I'm in the full-time ministry. I'm not really thinking I'm going back into the engineering, but I have a decision to make. Am I just going to let it go? Now, you got to understand, I'm emotionally attached to this license deeply because of what it took for me to get it and how unlikely it was that I would get it and that somehow I got it. Again, miraculous. Um, it's just hard to get. So I found out you could go inactive and not have to do the continuing education but just pay a fee and keep the license. So that's what I did for years I had my safety net until last year. And we finally decided, I, I said, I think I, need to, I think I need to let go of this. Even though God could still call me to go back into engineering, okay? He's never going to call me to sign and seal anything, I promise, because the license is gone, <laughs> which is good for everyone. 
I don't need to be doing that. But, but my point is this. The disciples dropped their nets and followed him. Now, it reads out of Matthew like, this is the first time they've ever heard of this Jesus. He says, follow me, and they just blindly follow him. That's not how it goes. If you go to the book of John, you read chapter 1, you see that Andrew is named, and John, is, his name's not there because John never names himself in the book of John, even though he describes himself over and over, and he's there. They're followers of a guy named John the Baptist, the one who baptized Jesus, the cousin of Jesus. He's, you know, the forerunner of Jesus. They're followers and disciples of John the Baptist. And, of course, he's always talking about the one who would come, and then he baptizes Jesus, and he, he sees him come, and he says, look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so if they're around, they've picked up quite a bit of Messiah stuff with this Jesus fella, even though he's from Nazareth. Don't get that, because the Messiah doesn't come from Nazareth. It comes from Bethlehem, and so it can't be him. You know, don't worry, even the Pharisees missed it. Um, and they, so they're hearing this, they're hearing what he's saying, what John the Baptist is saying about the Messiah, and they, of course, read the Old Testament scriptures, and they know we want the Messiah to come. He's going to rescue us. He's going to deliver us. Of course, they're thinking from Rome, and God's thinking bigger, and, and so when John kind of makes it clear this is who we need to be following, Andrew and John are ready. They're primed. And they actually walk with Jesus for a while. And I don't know exactly how that fits as far as the timing, but it's really close to what's happening here. And so what I, I think it probably preceded it. And then they come back and they're working and they are doing nothing but talking to each other and their brothers, Peter and James, about this Messiah. Because when you find God and you really believe he is who he says he is, you can't talk about anything else. When he transforms your heart and your mind, you, you, there's nothing that comes close to captivating your imagination of what could and should be. Can you imagine a church full of people whose minds are captivated with Christ, what could and should be, a vision of what could and could should be? All the, all the things that ail us in our society are now in a place where we can do something about them. Why? Because of Jesus. Can you imagine it's hard for us to imagine that. We're, we're so cynical. We're so hard-hearted about things in our world and our culture, and we've almost given up. Well, they hadn't, even though they'd been passed over by the rabbis and they were, they were already moving on in life and doing their fishing thing because they knew they'd never be a rabbi student, and yet here they are handpicked by this rabbi. And so they walk away from their career, their vocation. They're, they've been trained They've been, you know, they know they're going to inherit it. When, when their dad passes, they're just going to take it, and they're going to continue to grow the business, and that's what they're supposed to do. Catch fish, feed their family, sell the rest, take care of their family. And God has other plans. And it's not that what they were doing wasn't good and noble. It's that he had more for them. More. Both and. And so he says, come follow me. So what does it look like? Well, to start following, you have to take that step, which means usually you have to let go of stuff. Because to take on more, we, we really don't have the... When you take on more that, and more equals all, you've got to let go of everything else. You can't, add, you can't add everything into your hands unless your hands are empty, I guess is the way to say it. Peter and Andrew do it. 
James and John do it. And that's just the beginning. Now, what's the rest? The rest of following Jesus looks like what? Well, it looks like 23 through 25. Jesus went throughout Galilee. That's the northern part of the region of Israel. So you have Galilee, Samaria, Judea. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues. There's one. Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. There's two. And healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria. That's the northwest. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, who suffered through severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, I guess that's the northwest, not quite as far as Syria, the Decapolis, that's the northeast, Jerusalem, Judea, that's southwest, and the region across the Jordan followed him, that's the southeast, the whole region. Can you imagine a hospital where no one leaves that isn't healed? Right? We don't, no one ever imagines that because we, wouldn't, we don't believe that's possible. But if one of our hospitals started healing every single person that came in, I mean, they'd come in sick and they'd leave healed, do you think word might spread? Yeah. That's what was happening. People were coming from miles and miles and miles away on foot and on donkey with the sick, the lame, the possessed, they were coming. Why? Because the word over and over and over was, this guy heals anything. Mental, emotional, physical, spiritual. Can you imagine a church where people actually believed you could get healed when you showed up? That people could pray and people would walk out healed or on their way to healing? Oh, we have little faith, right? Me too. So what does it look like to follow Jesus? Teach, proclaim, and heal. And you can, healing is broad here. Okay, it's minister to people. But I don't want to lose, I don't want to skip over the supernatural, dramatic activity that is happening here. I don't want to just kind of brush it off like, yeah, that's, that used to be that way, but it's not like that today. It, it can be like that today. Teach, he taught in the synagogues. Who went to the synagogues? Mostly Jews. So who's he teaching? He's teaching from the Old Testament scriptures the people of God, the, the chosen people of God who he chose so that he could bless the nations. Remember Abraham, Abrahamic covenant? Blessed to be a blessing. Forget the fact that they were doing a horrible job, totally missing it, kind of like the American church, totally missing their mission. He still went to them, but he didn't just go to them. He also went to the crowds, so he proclaimed or heralded the good news that the kingdom of God was near, and then he showed them what that looked like through the healing and, the, and, the, and casting out demons and all the other things, and so this is, why, this is why there's such a disconnect between our churches today and what we read in Scripture and why that should bother us, right? Because I don't know about you, but people aren't flocking to our churches because of the good news, right? They're, they're talking about Christianity as if it's bad news, okay? Now, 
is some of that's because they're not getting a good, clear picture. They're believing things that aren't true, or they're believing lies, or they're seeing things that aren't right. But they're not necessarily showing up. But here it is. How do we follow Jesus? We leave everything, and we teach and proclaim the good news wherever we live, work, and play, and, and, and learn. And we do so in the power of the Spirit, however he wants to manifest himself as dramatically as he wants to do that, believing that he can do that whether it's just me and one person or a room full of people. That's what it is. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And, you know, if I gave you, if I had more time, I could probably show you why you shouldn't do that. So make sure you count the cost before you do because it is free and costly at the same time. Okay? So um, I remember when I was answering the call to go into the ministry and I started talking to my current pastor at the time and previous pastors. The current pastor, who I didn't know very well, he didn't know me very well, um, said, well, I'm going to tell you right now, after I told him I felt like God was calling me in the ministry, he says, the first thing I'm going to do is try to talk you out of it. And I was a little taken back by that. He said, because you, you don't want to go into the ministry unless you're called. Well, you don't want to go and follow Jesus either unless you're called, okay? Because you can't do it without him, okay? But I want you not only to count the cost of following Jesus, I want you to count the cost of not following Jesus because there is a cost there as well, and it's forever. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you. I thank you for, for reaching out to me and calling me. I didn't deserve it. I far, far from deserving anything good. Your mercy and grace extended to me, and you said, I want to do a work here that is obviously a work of God and not of him in such a way that would bring me glory. And so, Lord, I pray that that happens and is happening. And I thank you that I get to be a part. I don't deserve, none of us deserve your grace. But it is an offer that you put out there, and then you give us what we need to respond. You give us the courage, you give us the faith, you give us what we need to understand and respond and for the person that's never trusted Christ, it's, it's right there, but it's not something you're going to make anybody do. You can't. It would be against your nature. You love us so much that you give us the choice to walk away. But it's not what you want. It's just why you sent your son to die in our place so that we could live in yours. Live in this, this world full of grief and pain and shine like stars in the sky. Lord, for many of us, we have a relationship with you. But if we were honest, it's a casual religious experience that's limited pretty much to whenever we show up to a service. And that's not following Jesus. And we know it. We know it. And so, Lord, I pray that for those that fall into that category, that, that that would start with repentance, 
in confession, in admitting and agreeing with you that that's not acceptable to say, I'm following Jesus, and then to live that way, it just doesn't add up. I pray we would count, all of us would count the cost of following you and the cost of not. That we would be honest with ourselves and that we would so believe that you are who you say you are that we would surrender to you daily. All allegiance would be yours. God, we can't do that without your incredible grace and mercy to help us. Thank you that that's available by your spirit. May we cry out for that. May we plead for that. May we humble ourselves and finally say, yes, Lord, you are Lord, and I'm going to start living like it. In Jesus' name.